Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. I'm here with my friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman. Max, how's it going? I'm doing great. We're also here in studio, all three of us, since he had a baby, our pop culture aficionado, Shane Christian Cunningham. Shane, how are you doing? Good. You know, I was think- thinking about that whole segment where you asked us how we're doing. Yeah. I feel like, you know, Bill Simmons doesn't do that. They just get right into the conversation. So listener poll, should we stop asking each other how we're doing? Because it's sort of a pointless exercise. I'm the exercise. worst at answering that. And I actually get mild anxiety when someone asks me how really? I'm doing. I, well, here's the thing. When I listen back to it, I'm like, oh, I don't mind it. But I wonder if it's boring for the listener. Well, you guys never give me like a real answer. We anyway. never give you a good yeah. answer. I'm horrible at it. Yeah. <laughs> Any artifice, I'm not good at. Yeah. It's true. So no more fake shit. Right. <laughs> okay, today on the show, guys, we are talking to Brent Hodge, who is a documentary filmmaker. Uh, he has done I Am Chris Farley, the Chris Farley doc. I believe we've talked about it on I've a past doc, episode. Yeah. We have, uh, not even knowing that Brent Hodge, this Canadian filmmaker, uh, would then eventually be a guest on our show. He has a documentary out right now called Freaks and Geeks, the documentary. has everybody in it. It has uh, Judd Apatow. Uh, Paul Krugman. Paul Feig. He, Paul Kirkman uh, uh, is an economist. Paul Feig is the director of uh, Bridesmaids. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> Leave so, all that in. That was yeah, that's great. So Paul Feig and uh, Judd Apatow, you know, they are the guys, the, the brains behind it. It's really Paul Feig's life, but they have everybody in it that's been in that show. If you haven't watched Freaks and Geeks, go back. I think it's like 18 episodes. It only really lasted one season. It was this juggernaut. It was magical. So many people came out of it that became super famous, like Seth Rogen, James Franco, Jason Segel, uh, Linda Cardellini, Busy Phillips. Jason Schwartzman, who appears in this documentary. Uh, we will set all that up a little bit later. You saw it in theaters. I did. I went to the screening. We'll get to that. Okay. But before we get to that, what the hell has been going on? Max, good to see you again. Yeah, it's good to be all together. This, this is, is weird. Yeah, it feels like it's been Audio-wise, it must be such a relief for people listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no calling. Yeah, no, it's great. And um, I missed you, Shane. I missed you, too. Yeah, so you're back at work for good? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, you made that joke last week. To reuse the same joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know. Things are good. Uh, well, you're doing the biggest show of the summer right now. You're yeah, in the middle the of that. The rally. The rally. So if you haven't got tickets for it, it's June 23rd in Hamilton. There's over 21,000 of your closest friends are going to be there. How much can we... Like, what's considered a, a sellout in this case? I, I think... I was going to use the Steve Martin joke, but I knew you would. <laughs> 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 it was on the t- Me and Shane both watched the Steve Martin Martin short uh, <laughs> thing that's on Netflix right now. It was like their live show, and they had a really funny joke. And I texted Shane immediately where basically Steve Martin's like, oh, we're so happy to be here in South Carolina. We came into the lobby, and there was this giant picture of Marty and this giant picture of me. And right underneath, it said, sold out. And I was like, how rude. Oh. So I was going to say what's considered a sellout besides you, of course. But I knew Mike would call me out on my plagiarism bullshit. Because I texted him immediately, and I go, how have I never heard this, this sold out joke before? Yeah. Like. Have you ever heard that joke? No, but I've heard variations on sure. it. Sure. It's like uh, somebody accused, I, I don't know if it was Kiss or Kanye West, one of the two. It's like, some people said we sold out. And I said, yeah, damn right, we sold out every night of the tour. Oh, there like, you go. I've heard variations on that. All right. But it's by far the biggest show we've ever had. You know, Bud Stage holds about 15,000, and mm-hmm. Cops show uh, at 10,000 uh, people there. So we're, we've already doubled it. And um, yeah, it's been really exciting. We've been... Uh, planning every little detail, like there's like a, a flea market in front of the stadium be- between one and five, which I think Mike on Much Podcast might be making an appearance. Yeah, at. are we announcing oh. that now? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, let's do it. Go for it, Maxie. Yeah, so uh, the Mike on Much Podcast will be, uh, you know, maybe recording live and selling some merch in the 
plaza in front Wait, of Tim Wait, we're not Field. recording live from there, Could are we? we? Why not? If you want to swing let's, by. Let's do a segment. Okay, cool. So for our listeners, uh, there's this uh, a, a place called The Market that's just outside of the rally where you're doing your show at the... Free and open to the public. At yep. Tim Hortons Field. And yeah, Manager Ash is like, do you guys want to like... Because, you know, a lot of listeners have like reached out. They said, hey, we want to get merch. How can we get merch? And really, our operation's so small, it's kind of like out of the back of the car at this point. Yeah. So we're going to roll up with a car full of merch, and Shane and I will be there for mm-hmm. most of the market. I don't know when we'll get there, but... Yeah. Yeah, stay tuned. Follow us on socials yeah. for all that. Mike on much. Twitter, I still need Instagram. a sweatshirt. Oh, yeah. I just found my <laughs> sweatshirt. It, uh, it People love those things. Oh, they're great. Yeah. It might be a little hot that day, but we got baseball hats and T-shirts. I don't even have – I have a hat. I have the Mike on much hat. Yeah. I, I do not have uh, our own merch. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned for more details on that. So, yeah, it's been really fun. This has been a lot of uh, – I'm trying to finish recording. There's just been a lot of band stuff going on. I saw Hereditary, though. Which hey, is, no. don't talk about it because I'm probably going like tonight or tomorrow. Oh. I don't want to hear shit about it because this is sitting at like 95%. It's like the new sort of like buzz movie and I'm very excited to see it. Okay. Can we get? Can we find out if Max was freaked out? You can answer that question. I was freaked out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Did you walk away with like a... Because you know I don't read reviews. I'm not as extreme as your yeah. father who would, he won't even watch a trailer. He won't, he, in trailers and movies, he closes his eyes and puts his headphones on and blasts the music really loud. <laughs> like a crazy person. So I won't read a review of a movie that I want to see before I see it because I don't want to be tainted. Yeah. I'll put it this way. Um, I was in a mood after the movie okay. where I didn't want to really talk to anybody wow. and was just like kind of grumpy. I was kind of angry at Lauren for bringing me there. <laughs> well, she messaged me and she told me that she told you it was an action film. Yeah. That, she kind of tricked me into That's going. how she got you in? Yeah, that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. It was weird because um, we actually saw a movie a couple days before that called The First Reformed. Have you heard it? It's an indie movie with Ethan Hawke. No. Oh, yeah. It's, I the, might get uh, that it's Paul Schroeder, uh, the, the guy that did uh, – he wrote Taxi Driver – and he did the one with Lindsay Lohan and the porn star James Dean. Oh, right, yeah. The Canyons. The Canyons. Yeah. So now this is his kind of big comeback, but it's been received really well. Yeah. It's so, like, is Ethan Hawke like a priest that loses faith or crisis of conscience? Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. So basically, I don't know how much I should tell about the movie, but there, there's some environmental, it's, it kind of gets political, and there's um, sort of like the fate of the world uh, and, and people having these existential questions about like, what are we? Uh, this is probably a movie you, you two shouldn't see because it's like, what am I bringing my child into the world? Like, what is the world going to look like in 2050? That's what Hereditary is about. No, this is the this is the Ethan Hawke right, right. movie. So two days ago, we two days before that, we'd seen that movie, and it put Lauren in the weirdest mood because Lauren has had those thoughts. I'm sure we've all had those thoughts. Oh like, yeah, you know, if you, if you, if you want to have a kid. It's like, and you know, Antarctica is melting, and there's all this like change in the environment. What are you bringing your child into? Oh, like when our kids are our age, what is the world going to look like? Yeah, what will there be a world? Honestly, seriously. Yeah, and, and like, is it an inherently selfish thing to do, et cetera, et cetera? And she's had that thought before, and this movie touches on all those things. So she was in the weirdest mood for like the, the full next day after seeing that movie, and then we saw Hereditary, and then I was in a very weird. What mood. scares you more, like real political? problems and climate change or like a horror film the the political stuff doesn't bother me quite as much i'm sort of like you know we'll see what happens when we get there or like you know humans are resilient and people can get creative like it's hard to predict exactly i mean there's a very good chance we're all fucked and i appreciate that and and i'm okay with it i'm not okay with it but i get it you're not losing sleep over that yeah no yeah it's like you know but you're losing sleep over ghosts but here's the thing sleep with the lights on what i will say about hereditary actually i don't want to say you can't say anything okay i won't say anything more is it, 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 it gives me, it gave me stress in a different kind of way. Okay, one to ten, give me the stars. Okay, out of ten, as a movie, as a piece of art, that movie was like 
a nine and a half out of ten. Great, can't wait. And I enjoyed it one out of ten. Wow. <laughs> you know. So, what I would you recommend it? I'd recommend it. All right, but if you're a real scaredy cat, don't go. Max is trying to take your pop culture corner here, Shane. Well, let's face it, I've never really occupied that space. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Uh, you also saw Imagine Dragons. Oh yeah, I went to Imagine Dragons with my niece. You know, I'm on full on uncle duty. This this week's been crazy for me as an uncle. You said on a recent pod that you wouldn't be able to have any sort of relationship with mine or Shane's child because of your <laughs> uncle. How stressed out you are by your uncle duty. <laughs> well, it's true, and my sister listens to the podcast too, so I have to watch my. Is she really? Yeah. Oh, shut up. Oh yeah, yeah, she, yeah. Uh, she she actually um, did I send you the screen cap? My no. sister texted me after the podcast where you said the nurses were giving you, uh, you know, uh, fever. Uh, were giving you yeah. fever, and uh, she said, "Tell Shane it's totally ordinary to do skin on skin," and and Brandon, her husband, did it, and it's really important and keep up the good work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, two. What happens is a waiter comes in. And uh, not a waiter, I it guess. Sounds like a joke setup. He, he's just the <laughs> he's just the guy who works there, like, like a nurse, a, like an orderly. An orderly, that's what they're called. Okay, he comes in, and he takes a food order. <laughs> so I'm like, and I'll be, and then he just leaves. He takes her <laughs> food order, and then so you don't get food. So you're just sitting there in your house coat with the baby on your chest with no food, with no food. With no food. So don't uh, have the embarrassment I did because uh, like two or three times I still got tricked thinking every time, of course, I might get a meal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're so hard done by. Yeah. Um, so I went to Imagine Dragons with my niece Emma, and we had a great time. Is Emma a big fan? Was there a reason it was that? Yeah, band? she's 11, and Imagine Dragons are a big band. And you know what's funny? I, you know, you hear Imagine Dragons songs all the time, and they're on every award show. I've never personally like loved their music. There's a couple songs I'm like, oh, that's a kind of a cool song. I totally understand why they're a massive band. And um, the show kind of won me over. Well, actually, here's the thing. The guy comes on stage, the singer, Dan, and he didn't used to be shredded, ripped, but now he looks like Channing Tatum. <laughs> yeah. It's was, crazy. My Instagram feed was all people at that show just posting images of him shirtless. Dude looks like John Cena or something. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, he comes on stage. By the way, first song, there's no shirt. Like, it's not like he there was a Worked reveal a where he was like, so. And I was like, man, this guy's. You know, kind of that's a ballsy move, right? For a pretty earnest, sincere rock band. And a lot of these songs are about like overcoming the odds and dealing with your personal demons. I think there's a song called mm-hmm. Demons. <laughs> but it's all really positive. Um, but then as, a, as the show progresses, you kind of appreciate they have so many big songs. Everybody singing along to every word. And his backstory is really interesting. He's a Mormon, but... He has all these fans that are from the LGBTQ community that have been writing him saying, Please take off your shirt. Please take off your shirt. (laughs) I'm so horny for you. (laughs) And uh, give the people what they want, Dan. (laughs) And so he did. (laughs) The show was great. No, and so uh, he's actually taken a stand in favor of the LGBTQ community, and he has been basically an ambassador for, for the Mormon community. To the LGBT community, and and he's put on a, a, a massive summer concert last year and again this year coming up in Salt Lake City, where everyone's accepted, everybody's welcome. And isn't this in direct conflict with his faith, though? Yeah, and so I think it, there's an HBO documentary coming out about it, like next month, yeah, or very soon, um, about him dealing with that, uh, being the bridge, being the bridge. Basically. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so it kind of made me really like 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 him a lot more, and then. And then, I, and then, like as the show progressed, I was like, "Damn, he doesn't look so goofy. He looks, it's pretty cool." Like you know, when you <laughs> yeah. start to kind of like like a guy, yeah, you're like ah, kind of like he's wearing Vans and like Adidas socks, like in sweatpants. I'm like, 
I, at first I just thought you were a dumb bro. But, <laughs> and then he had this whole, this whole thing about uh, mental health. Uh, he's like, there's a stigma in our society. And, it, you know, it's, it's a, you know, that people who have depression are weak. But, you know, 10 years ago, I, I sat across from a therapist and I was diagnosed with depression. And I was able to do everything I ever wanted. And I was, like, getting chills as he was saying it. So, anyway, it was a cool show. I uh, took some notes. I was going to say, what did you, what'd you pull from him? What are you going to nick? He went into the crowd all the way to the lawns at the Budweiser Station. Wow. Second song. Do you think the people in the good seats are like, where the fuck are you going? Like, <laughs> we paid all this money. And he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, no, he wasn't. He was only gone for a uh, Yeah, he never came back after the <laughs> second yeah. did the whole show there. That would be awesome. Um, and then I, right after this podcast, I have to go to my other niece, Ellie's um, soccer game. Or something. I'm playing soccer at 2.30. I've played a lot of, I've played basketball with you on a softball team. Yeah. I've never seen you play soccer. I'm pretty bad at soccer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's no, not a no good, good sport for me either. So, uh, listeners who might have missed last week's episode, the Shane Stravaganza, which shockingly you listened to. Why do you say that? <laughs> well, Mike and I had a conversation of will Max, Max listen- ever <laughs> listen to it, and we were like, do we think he ever listens to it? And we were kind of like wondering, and I was like. Well, I think he listens to some interviews, but I definitely think I he listen w- to every interview. Okay. I don't listen to it and I don't always get them on the review when you send the review link. Yeah. There's like like a usually a less than twenty four hour window between the review link that Justin has to listen to and then it going live. Sometimes but I always listen to everything. But I thought definitely he's not going to listen to this one. No, well I did two things you asked. I listened to your Dex uh, Shepherd Dax Shepherd right. Dax <laughs> Shepherd interview. With um, Talib Kweli, which is amazing, which I recommend listeners uh, to check that out. It's right up your alley. Yeah. I, when I'm listening to it, I was thinking about you the whole time. I yeah, think. he's actually a good uh, kind of – he's good at kind of feeling both sides. Dak, Dak. Yeah. Dak yeah. Shepard is, but not to get off track. Um, what the hell is that sound? Sorry, yeah. We're recording this at Jackhammer. My, my place right now, and I think they're doing construction like two places over. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, okay. so we'll apologize, but I think our listeners, it won't be too prevalent because we're up on the mic. Okay, awesome. Yeah. But um, the interview with Nirvana, the band, was awesome. And you know what's funny? So I, as listeners know, I know uh, Jay McCarroll, who's the star and creator of that show. I've run into him. He lives, I think, around the corner from my Toronto place. I ran into him at a coffee shop uh, a few months ago. And I know Jared Rabb, who's the director of photography. He directed the Whistleblower video. So I've known people on that crew for a long time. But I never watched the show. After you told that compelling story about your cheap brother-in-law, Jake, not wanting to part with his money, but him giving you $20, to, I said, man, that's, that's a convincing way to get someone to do something for you. Yeah. So I bought it on iTunes last night. You watched night. three episodes. I got through the three episodes, and it's really, really good. And I highly recommend people check out the interview. Actually, listen to the interview first and then watch the show. So a couple of questions I had. Number one. I don't think you addressed it. The fire uh, of on Queen Street. Yeah, we. I think we did, did we talk, talk about off, it. We, we did talk about it. I had to cut a lot out of that sure. interview. I went <laughs> yeah. long. That was the part where you're like, and that fire was so awesome. Yeah, you guys yeah, are the yeah. best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because they did, and they have this amazing uh, special effects guy who they work with, who oh. they they crazy they praised quite a bit more than I left wasn't in that episode. Oh, okay, it wasn't real. It looks so but real. It's ama- That guy's one of the best in the business at making things. Make you question things. Wait till you get more into the season. You're going to be blown away. Okay, cool. Show. Okay, that was good. So I recommend people check out the interview. Yeah, if you're show. a fan of Nathan for you, you're going to love this show. Yeah. And even if you're not, you still might like it. So check out that episode. That was up last week. Could I just – and feel free to take this out. This is more of just a point of curiosity for me. I noticed you're wearing <laughs> shorts and a T-shirt right now. Yeah. Did you take the bus down here? I rode the bike share. From Hamilton? 
No, from Toronto. Okay. Um, when you take the go bus in the summertime, yeah. do you think it's ridiculous how cold they crank the air? Oh yeah. Uh, sometimes I enjoy it. I've never really. really? Been, yeah. Why is it? Was it freezing? I have to wear my oddly my Summit Ice Nathan Fielder jacket every uh-huh. day to work, even if it's a hundred degrees out. Because they they air conditioned the bus too hard. And this is my like I hate the word pet peeve, but this is my pet peeve in the summertime. They think you want to be freezing in the summer and so hot in the wintertime. Can we not just regulate the temperature in every building we go to a normal state? Because when I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt, <laughs> I'm freezing. And when I'm not, I'm too hot. Like, I just want to regulate temperature in everything I go. And I'm sick of the go bus. Hey, you know what? There's a new PC government. Right. <laughs> you should see if you can get on uh, Ford's, you know, you got to get a job. It's a problem. I see. Pe- I rode the bus with your brother today, Mike. Brother and Greg. he had the same complaint. Really? Yes. And I see people who don't take the bus on the regular who don't know, and they're shivering. Movie theaters used to have this problem. Yeah. Anyway, cut that out. I don't know what percentage of our listeners take the Hamilton Toronto Express Go Bus where they're going, I really relate to which I'm sure buses all across the world are doing this. Let's get it together. Yeah. All right. Guys, today on the show, uh, like I said off the top, is Brent Hodge, who directed this new Freaks and Geeks documentary. I went and saw it at the screening, and it was really cool because it was a packed theater. It was at the Hot Docs Theater on Bloor here in Toronto. Man, it was like, there were moments where I was like tearing up in the dock because you're with a bunch of people and they're all, you know, they really relate to Freaks and Geeks. It really like hits people in like a visceral place. So it was actually a really, really great dock and really fun to revisit it all. And then obviously just for historical context, insane how many people went on to be super successful as part of the Judd Apatow sort of Paul Feig tree. So I have a confession for you, Mike. Hit me. So it's my job as the producer to help you prepare for interviews, (laughs) right? Yeah. And... I feel like in the I used to have a pretty good uh, routine of managing all my tasks because, as you guys know, I'm a busybody. I usually like to do like 15 things in one day, and each thing usually takes about 10 minutes to 10 to 30 minutes long. Like anything that requires like real concentration, I'm very bad at. Uh, ever since Manager Ash came into my life, I feel like I've gotten worse at. She coddles you. She calls me. She's too nice to She's me. She's been prepping the questions. Well, <laughs> I'll get to that. Um, oh, did I bust your punchline? <laughs> wow. So uh, I was. So and, and so I. I and I even it's to the point where I get her to send me to do lists. Yeah. So she'll send me a to do list in the morning, and I'll like kind of work through it. But like basically, I'm I've been coddled, maybe too much. So I I knew this interview was coming. I was thinking about the freaks and geek stuff, and you know, it usually takes me about like half hour, forty five minutes to sometimes longer, to, to, to think about questions and to whatever, and then send them over to you. It escaped me, and I didn't prepare. So it was the night of the NBA Finals, the night before the, the interview with the dude. Yes, right. And you come to show up to, to Kensington Market yeah. to see the game with me and my dad. You and your dad are hanging out at Kensington yeah. in that place. Uh, uh, yeah, Kens- uh, Trinity Common. Trinity cool, Common. Cool place. You show up. I think you might, might have mentioned the interview the next morning. And I go to myself, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> so then, is this audible or in your mind? In my mind. Okay. Is, okay. Hold <laughs> on, hold on. Okay. And so I go, okay, I just got to take a phone call. So then I go outside, and you probably didn't notice because you were watching the game, but I was probably outside for 25 minutes on the phone with Ash, who's a huge Freaks and Geeks fan, who knows the director. Yeah, that's how this And I was happens. like, so I just called ash in a panic i was like ash this is the most irresponsible i've ever been as a producer i'm really sorry i know you got like fucking a thousand other things to do right now but i need your fucking help right now and so we start working through all this and and she was like super fucking into it 
And and she so basically, I'm like typing furiously on my phone as I'm thinking. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna send you this like ramshackle shit. It's like edit it, fix it up, and send it right back to me so I can send it to Mike as if I had created oh the whole thing myself. So then, about like you know half an hour later, I'm back inside watching the game. At the questions come in. The questions are amazing. They're way better than my questions. Like or they're they're improved. So at midnight. I send the email off. I'm feeling like a fucking champion because I'm like, I came through in the clutch, right? I can't believe this. So here's the kicker is that I miss a phone call from Mike because the interview is 8.30. I miss a phone call from Mike at 7.45. And then he sent a text. Hey, I never got the questions. The fucking email didn't work. Yeah. And so you had to wing it anyway. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so basically, and, and I sent the screenshot. Like the questions were sent at 12.01 that day. Mm-hmm. Like, but there was, a, there, there, so there's a record of me sending questions. It wasn't like, oh, I guess it didn't go through, you know, when people make <laughs> right, that shit yeah. up. It actually, but then there must have been an issue on your end with the email server. Yeah, or something. it didn't come through. Uh, so, yeah, I went in there. I, I always have kind of a loose idea of what I kind of want to do anyway. And I was, I was really into the film and really into Brent. And it ended up being a long interview, as you hear. It's like almost like half hour, 40 minutes, just because I enjoyed talking to him so much. But it is so funny that you're confessing this to me because we're watching the game, me, you, and your dad. It's game one of the NBA finals. <laughs> And you're like, oh, I got to go out and just take mm-hmm. this call. So then me and your dad, Mike Kerman, are just hanging out, talking like, oh, where do we think LeBron's going to go after this? And I'm like, yeah, Max has been gone for a while. <laughs> it's like a half a fucking hour. And then you come, you were doing the questions. Yeah, which didn't even get sent anyway. Wow. wow. Yeah, there you have it. There's hey, the man. truth. I like the truth. Will you ever rely on her again for that, you think? Well, she's way better than yeah. me. Yeah, they yeah. were great. They were, it's for what but here's the thing. To manage Rash, when I did read them after I got back to my desk, I was like, these are great. Yeah. And uh, but again, just another example of her coddling me. Mm. So maybe I should be, just be aware of that. Was it awkward being left alone with Max's dad? Not at all. He was a great hang, and he, he really likes basketball and like storylines, like with the players. And, and my dad like 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 a lot of dads here. Like they like hang out with younger people. Yeah, uh, get another house, you know. Yeah, we were having a good hang. Yeah. Imagine good. he put on those big headphones and just sat there. He doesn't want to ruin NBA free agency. <laughs> like, I, I just need to experience as it happens. No rumors. <laughs> Uh, it was a great time. Okay, so for our listeners, before we get to Brent, thank you so much for tuning in every week. Uh, if you're new and you're just a huge fan of Freaks and Geeks and you're here to listen to Brent talk about his documentary, then please uh, give us a listen. We've had so many people, over 100 episodes. We are on Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio app, and of course YouTube if you want to stream while you're sitting at your desk. Uh, you follow us at Much on Instagram and Twitter. Check all of that out and settle in for this conversation with uh, Brent Hodge. You guys ready to do it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Did you guys do anything after the screen last night? Yeah. Yes, we did. <laughs> did you go hard? That's so funny. Uh, I actually met up with, I do this podcast with Max, because you guys know Ash, right? Yes. Yeah. And we were watching uh, game one of the finals last night. Oh, really? Yeah. And then we were like, well, we were with him and his dad, and we were like, we'll just have a couple beers, and then like, boom. Yeah. What'd you guys do? Uh, we went right across the street, Insomnia. Oh, and that stayed until insomnia. Yeah. <laughs> we stayed that, up late. My wife and I went there actually for a drink right before the dock last yeah, night. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I was just like I was saying when you guys walked in, the, the dock's great. I, I loved it. My wife loved it. Yeah, it was like a packed house. Freaks and geeks, you do not have to work very hard to get a crowd. <laughs> There's already a crowd. Like, there is people that have been wanting answers to the show for the last twenty years. Yeah. Here they are. This is the answers. Yeah, totally. Well, we're going to get to Freaks and Geeks in a bit, but I was fascinated because I somebody you got the question last night during the Q&A, like whether you were a freak or a geek in high school. Yeah. And you said n- neither, uh, that you were like a hockey guy. Yeah. So like, so your sort of high school experience was just like 
yeah, grew up in Canada. Um, I'm a West Coast guy and just, yeah, played hockey like most people. Uh, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary in high school. One of those experiences that most kids go through where there's maybe some traumatic events, but most are, are pretty good. You're, you know, you got friends, popular. Um, and I think that's the thing with, with freaks is that it relates to anyone. It relates to everybody who went to school. Um, whether you whether you got picked on or whether you were an outcast or whether you were just part of the crew, I think people, a lot of people can relate to that show. Yeah, like every experience on the spectrum is sort of represented in that show, and you can feel it with all the characters. Okay, so you're playing hockey, you're sort of regular popular kid. How do you then get into film? I didn't. This is weird. I didn't get into filmmaking until I was 25. Yeah, well, I saw you had some acting credits. Yeah, a few. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> but I mean, so you clearly had an inclination toward like entertainment. Yeah, I loved it. I loved like this idea that you could like make up a script and make up a world and want to do that. And it's funny that we've gone into like journalism, um, but pop culture journalism. I just love pop culture, and I love yeah, I love this idea that, that you know film. Uh, this this always outdates me when I say this, but YouTube had just started. Okay, yeah. And so yeah, yeah. I was like, man, we can make these videos, and you're making them with your friends, and then eventually you realize like, wow, this little cool hobby of yours could be a career. And it could have been skateboarding. It could have been this. It could have been anything. I went to business school and I just knew I wanted to run a small business. And this was the one that I picked. Okay. So just like naturally entrepreneurial. Yeah. Well, that's interesting to me. So you're saying it could have been anything, but then you chose this one. Yeah. I think filmmaking, especially film editing came super fast. Right. I sat down with a guy that I met just at a coffee shop and I said, you make movies. Can I like watch you one day? And I sat down with him. He was doing an NFB film and he's like, try your editing. And I just got it. It's like, oh, okay, you cut, you paste here. This is pretty easy. You bend things. Like, I, it just came really fast. Same with the camera. I was like, okay, yeah, no, this is pretty good. Aperture, I get it. Like, it all, it all just sort of worked. Um, and then documentaries kind of came to us. It wasn't like I, I fought too hard to get into that world. Just felt they were coming to us. And then since then, yeah, it just sort of skyrockets. It's weird how you look back to deciding how you started something. It's like most of the time you just started doing it because it was really fun. Right. And it took up time. You're like, yeah, that's, that's it. I mean, were you like a film head? Did you go to movies all the time? Or were you kind of just a normal pop culture consumer? Yeah, I was a normal pop culture consumer, but I started doing my homework once we got into the doc category, I should say. We, once we were doing films and started going to a few film festivals, I, I, I kind of like, I kind of I feel like I did five years of work in like a year. Right. I started going like, oh man, I got to watch some of these old films. I got to watch Werner Herzog films. I got to get into this, you know, and Morgan Spurlock was a huge influence when we first started. Man, what has he done? What's his older stuff? And, you know, kind of going back in, in like the archives of people's work to understand where they came from. So how do you get financing, say, for your first doc? Like, how do you like, for people listening, how do you just decide to do that and then find the financing? Do you do it yourself? Yeah, this is where the business degree really helped me in kind of getting into entrepreneurship. Like there is a way to find funding for anything. There's a way to make a business out of anything. Um, people always say that documentaries you can't make a business out of because it takes seven years to make it or 10 years to make right. these things. Like, well, do they have to? Can you make one that's one year? Can you do one that's on a band? Can you, you know, who would pay for that? How, where would it go? And you sort of like start to, start to question where you can get these things from. But the, the first one we did was uh, with CBC. Okay. And we knew there was a regional fund where you could, you, you could sort of access money based on doing a, a British Columbia artist. Yeah. So we did it on Said the Whale and Dan Mangan. And we knew we could kind of access money that way. And then it would be a TV show and we'd get credits on TV. And then we pushed and kept pushing. 
Uh, and then we got fluky with a few where you do them with your own money and you hope somebody picks them up. There was this new thing called Netflix that picked it up. And it's, you know, you just sort of have to stay on the pulse. It's, it's interesting to think that we were kind of on the pulse when YouTube started and then on the pulse when Netflix started. You're like, wow, I got to, I got to, you sort of have to stay on top of that. Um, but with documentaries, like, man, the avenues to where you can put these now have totally changed. It used to be CBC, NFB, maybe Knowledge Network, right. Bell, a few places. That's it. Now it's the Hulu's, Netflix, A and E, you name. There's tons more places to, to put it. And I think it's you know just even showing what happened last night in Toronto, like Hot Hot Dogs, Blur, Street Cinemas is, is packed for yeah. a documentary. Yeah, that was like that was a huge success. That's fun. So well, you know, you win back to back Leos. I guess kind of pretty early on. So you start to see success. So you're encouraged. You're like, this is working. Was there a moment where you went? shit, this is a vi- like this is a career that like I can actually do this for long term? Or did you always sort of have that outlook? You, you seem pretty confident in that. It's like, hey, we can make this work. I saw a business model for sure. Um, and I think it was acquisition-based before, which is like doing it with your own money and then selling, selling them. it. Yeah, yeah. sure. Kinda, and just if, if you can keep doing one more of those, then you can, you're allowed to keep making the next movie. Uh, so I think, I think it was right from the get-go. But some you know some some movies you might lose money on too. You sure. see that like there's there's movies in the I don't know how good this new Star Wars is gonna do. Like there's movies every day that lose money, but you take a risk on them and you try. Uh, and the thing with documentaries, they don't cost a crazy amount yeah. to start. So you can start ten at a time, and maybe only two kind of follow through. So so far we haven't had to do that. But <laughs> right. And how do you meet Morgan Spurlock? Morgan Spurlock came through a friend. He just. You know, I feel like if you start making movies, you, that's the only thing you talk about with people around you. Yeah. And then they realize you make movies. Like if you have friends who are in bands, you're like, that's my friend. He's from a band and you should go see him. And a couple of friends had knew that I was making movies and constantly making them. And they ran into Morgan one day and said, you got to meet this Haji guy. He's always making movies. Yeah. So, and, and Morgan, too, you know, to, to like, to, he, he decided he wanted to meet filmmakers and he wanted to help filmmakers. And, he really helped get our first film going, um, our feature, first feature doc called A Brony Tale. Yeah. Which is about middle-aged men who like My Little Pony. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was my first one out the gate. And I think that, you know, when you have like a really, I don't know what to call that film. It's like when you have a really um, catchy title to a film. Yeah. Like it's about men who might like My Little Pony. <laughs> you will get a crazy audience to want to watch that. Like regardless of how it looks or production value or anything just the fact that you have that as a film well just the elevator pitch like you just summed up right that's the hook right there it's it yeah and it's like that's like any business that's like any any uh any entrepreneur for any product that you have it's like this is your uh this is your like your your uh you know your like shazam wipe right it's like here it is and does it work it's magic and so you have to sort of sell that and that was our coming out the gate that was our first one and it really got a great crowd. So you kind of build off of that. I ask this of people a lot with their careers because I think being in entertainment is like such an unconventional sort of career in the way that, you know, there's, it's not a nine to five. Nothing's guaranteed. Yep. Um, do you, does your success feel like accumulative or was there a big break? Like is there something you can point to where you're like, oh, that's where it started to happen. And then that opens this door and that opens this door. I do think the Chris Farley doc was a big break for us. Right. Because... Up until then, it was one kid with a camera doing pretty funny pop culture stuff. And then the next step is like, will, will the comedy world identify me as a real director? Yeah. The kind of that, that's the question. You know, will people validate this 
or is it just me? Is it just me making this? And to get commissioned to do the Chris Farley documentary was a huge step for me. I was very young. I was 27. So I'd only been filmmaking for two years. Man. And they throw that on your plate. Okay. So, but when you say they throw that on your plate, how do you get to that? Because people listening are just like, oh, what a Chris Farley doc falls in your lap. How do you get commissioned to do that? Uh, The Brony Tail film got us commissioned to that. Okay. So So someone saw that. Someone saw that. Network Entertainment, Derek Murray saw that. He's a producer. He has a company. They do a lot of films called I Am. Yeah. I Am series. I Am uh, Bruce Lee. I Am Steve McQueen. I Am Chris Farley was up next. They needed a young comedic director. Someone who could uh, bring a story to it and bring some elements to it that that were felt younger. That, that was a huge hit for them. Like, we need someone who would get the Farley crowd. Right. And I like, had my hand up waiting to go. Totally. Uh, and I, honestly, it's like you get thrown into that and you, I was freaked out. Like, I had never lit uh, a scene. Yeah, I had it's like never, fake it till you make it. It's like, like yeah, I can do this. And yeah. they're like, oh, fuck. Exactly. And also it was fake it till you make it, but also like fake it. And they kind of know because they've seen your other movies. So – you know, Derek's a, still a mentor and a great friend of mine because he gave me that chance. I'll never forget that. Uh, and it worked out. Like, the Farley doc is still the number one doc on Paramount Spike TV that they've yeah. ever had. It runs here on, like, the movie network it all the time. It, yeah, and yeah, I, I, I literally – I watched it front to back, obviously, when it came out because I'm a huge Saturday Night Live fan. Um, and then it's one of those things that if it's on, like, one of the five movie channels, you'll sit for 20 minutes. You know, it's kind of – pick up little pieces here and there. Were you a big Saturday Night Live fan? Huge. I was a huge Farley fan too. Like just uh, Saturday Night Live, but Tommy Boy was... Oh, yeah. It kind of changed... You know, there's these movies that change your life. I really think that... And Freaks and Geeks is one. Uh, Tommy Boy is another. Superbad's another. I don't know why. Like they're not classics. They are. They are. They are. are. Yeah. They're not uh, not the godfather. No. They've become classics, I think, for people of like our generation. Yeah. Even in the moment, if we didn't know it, it's like those are beloved, you know, pieces of entertainment. Um, So, okay, you start doing this Farley doc, and are you able to get everybody right away? Like, is like, is David Spade on board? Like, did they already have the infrastructure by which everybody was sort of like, yeah, we want to talk about Chris? Not really. This one was really hard. Um, Chris Farley died from a drug overdose. Yeah. And it had been years later and no one had really talked about it for a while. And I think getting people on board for that is, is it's so much harder than celebrating a TV show that didn't last long on TV, like freaks and geeks. Right. It was about someone who passed away and passed away. Suddenly uh, we had the family on board. Remember the first thing we did was we flew to Madison, Wisconsin. We got the blessings from his mom, Chris's mom and uh, his brothers, his brother. Well, his one brother wrote the book. His one brother wrote the book, Tom. And Which then, I'd, I'd read. Yeah, yeah, I had read it too. Yeah. And, and so, you know, and there was, there was uh, a lot more to the stories, which we wanted to kind of, you know, we really wanted to get at in the film. Kevin Farley uh, jumped on board. He's one of the brothers, the younger brother. He jumped on board and he said, I'm going to help you guys. I'm going to exec produce this. And he really pushed and he got spayed, helped us get Sandler. Um, you know, Bob Odenkirk was a big friend. And that, that sort of, once you get a few of those guys, uh, the rest the rest will come. Oh, well, that's what we found with this podcast. It's like when we started doing it over 100 episodes ago, it was like oh. favors, like friends of Max. It's like, okay, we'll get light. So we'll get, you know, Men Over Stieg from Colorado and his wife, Annie. But then once I remember we got Josh Groban 
And it was he was the first legit person we got like through here that was like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, for any publicist, it's like, oh, they did it. And then, you know, you get Scott Whalen from Stone Temple Pilots. And then those names kind of add up. And then everyone's like, oh, it's like it's legitimizing, which is a word you used earlier. Yeah, absolutely. It's legitimizing. Also, like, it's just a breadth of work. That's all it is. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a quality breadth of work. And as soon as you start doing that, people will, will jump on because they've, they, they, they have a track record of what they've seen before. Um, and this is the thing. You guys just started doing it. Yeah, exactly. And that's incredible. That's, and it's the same as, did you think you were going to be a podcast uh, host? No. Right? It's Absolutely like, not. you're incredible at it. And the reason is because you've been doing over 100 episodes. Right. And you just decided to do it. And I think it's the same with us in documentaries. We just said, there's something here and no one's doing this. No one's doing comedy docs. Yeah. Like, why is there no, you know, there's sociopolitical docs. There's a, a ton of true crime documentaries. Why is no one making fun of the world right now why is this like why isn't why are we so serious with documentaries yeah. can we try like just being funny like, we're, the real world is so funny let's let's do this uh and i found that that's it it's like well if we're gonna do an iconic film chris farley's the icon if we're gonna do a historic film freaks and geeks is kind of my history that's what i want what's a food documentary look like what's a music doc look like yeah so we're just sort of you know dabbling in that world now with um, I, I think it was my uh, my my friend Dan Carruthers, who I believe you know. He mentioned that uh, Adam Sandler was like the last guy you got. I heard the, the like picture was almost locked, and yeah. then you were like, "No, we're redoing this if we can get Adam it, Sandler." It was actually Adam and Lauren Michaels. Oh, wow! Yeah, who who opens the whole film? Yeah, uh, Adam Sandler was on. Yeah, the last third to the last day before delivery, and. No joke, Lauren Michaels came in the day we were supposed to deliver. And we emailed Spike TV at the time and said, can we have a day, one day extension? But yeah, we got, got it in, injected it, and just cut out Lauren Michaels and threw him in. Wow. Yeah. And it, it, it's not a timing thing like they meant to do this. It was, it's just schedules. Yeah, it's just the way it goes. Just the way it goes. And it, by the time I got around to Lauren's desk, he said, oh, Spade's in this, Sandler's in this, everyone's in? I absolutely will make sure that I you know, get, pay tribute to Chris Farley, which yeah. was what it was. Well, speaking of that, how cognizant were you, or I guess because his brother was exec producing or whatever, of sort of going light on the issues, his substance abuse issues, and sort of focusing more on the work, I guess. You know, it's, and it still to this day is like a conflict within me of, did we say enough? Did we say too much? Fascinating. Right. It, like, I think it always will be because, well, even as a viewer, you know, it, I'm, I'm thinking that and as a guy that obviously works in this industry, I was, I'm like, I wonder how they're going to handle this and how much they're going to go there. And it's also, whenever you see it's exec produced by a family member, it's like you handle things delicately. Yeah. So you found that a challenge? I did find it a challenge. Um, look, drug addiction is so complex and we, we like to sum it up. We really do. I think there's this like idea that, you know, someone's an addict and then they overdose and they die. It's like, no, there was like crazy struggles where at some points there were friends uh, that, that at a young age and then they weren't friends anymore. There was family members that disconnected. There's a lot of stuff that happens. And if you're in the spotlight, like the Farleys were and Chris Farley was, it's even more complex. Another small town from Madison, Wisconsin. It's like, there's a lot more to this. But in terms of his story, I always ask myself, like, where, do you, where, does, where does Chris live within people? Is he the guy that um, died too early? Is, he, is there a legacy status here? Like he, he is, to me, a huge comedy legend. And I wanted just to make sure that, that was it at the end. Like if, if anything goes right with this film, 
It's that we remember Chris as a legend. Yeah. We re- remember the great things he did. And so that's, I always veered that way. Um, but I don't think we shied away from it. You know, and a lot of these guys wanted to talk about that. I remember Bob Odenkirk being really firm on saying, you got to make sure this stuff goes in. Like, I really want to talk about addiction. Let's be real about Let's this. Let's be real shit. about this. Um, actually, I thought Mike Myers was fantastic in your film. Mike Myers was, he's still, I think, my favorite interview I've ever done. He was great. Like, you got a lot of really good stuff out of him about Farley. That was, because he, I felt like he came at it, you know, everybody, like, guys like Sandler and Spade were, like, his friends. Yes. And Myers was, like, it's, you know, they were, they worked together, and there was a mutual respect, but I don't know, like, how close they were. So, it was almost a different perspective of, like, a mutual respect of, yeah, this guy's an all-star, I'm an all-star, we work together, he makes me laugh. But, you know, I don't know how close they were, necessarily. Yeah. And, you, you know, Tom Arnold, too, a huge friend of his. And they, they have dinner party stories where, exactly, Mike Myers it wasn't like that. It was SNL stories. I don't know if they hung out outside of work. Yeah. Um, but, yet, you know, nobody came in and said that Chris Farley wasn't the funniest guy in the room. Like, every single person said, that's the funniest. Like, we're all funny. And they are very funny. For Mike Myers, who I think is so funny to yeah. say, I had nothing on Chris Farley is, you know, it just shows that this is a film that needed to be made. Uh, I was so happy making that movie. Like I was meeting these guys. I'm 27 at this time. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I I will never forget that Mike Myers interview ever. Like I'm sitting there. It was one of those moments where I I had like an out of body experience. I'm like, I'm interviewing Mike Myers. (laughs) Like this is, this is, I'm a filmmaker now. Like I am a legit documentary director and there's 10 people around me and that guy's doing the lighting and that guy's doing the filming and they're listening to me like I'm actually this is happening I remember that I will never forget that moment I mean out of all those guys that you interviewed very funny people is there an anecdote or anything that stood out in the Farley doc you know I think I think Mike Myers for me the thing that stood out the most is that he really did he wasn't he wasn't hamming it up it wasn't like I should be here because Chris Farley is probably good for my brand as well. Like he really, truly missed a guy. He came in and said, I'm so sad that we're here right now and having to talk about this. I'm like, wow, he really cares. Like this guy, this guy really cares. And when he sat down, he was like choking up. And um, that to me indicated that, that it's, it's, it's more than just show business for some of these guys. Like, you know, there's friendships and there's a lot of time together and there's a lot of like moments that they share. So wasn't any particular lines though that really stood out. Just the just the, the the whole atmosphere of how they felt about Chris. So now getting to the Freaks and Geeks uh, documentary, that show just means so much to people. You know, it's like it's obviously it's stature and sort of legend and the place it holds in people's hearts has grown over the years. And I'm actually kind of surprised no one's made a doc because everybody, you know, you guys talked about the tree last night. Yeah. That tree that branches off from there and under Judd and um, Paul Feig is phenomenal and so i would think that somebody at some point would have thought shit we need to go back and mine this like everyone that came out of this became ultra successful yeah were you surprised that no one had thought to do it i was completely shocked when there was no freaks and geeks doc same with farley Uh, yeah how isn't there a film made here and that's a lot of the time how we approach these films is, is like it's a question first of how has nobody told us the freaks and geeks story how do we not know how this show got canceled there's so many unanswered questions to Freaks and Geeks. It's like in 1999, it was one of the lowest rated shows on TV, so it got canceled. Yet in 2005, it got a DVD release, which is unheard of for a canceled show. And then in 2013, it gets picked up on Netflix as if it's a brand new show. Yeah, It's on the top 100 Time Magazine, best series of all time, top 50 Rolling Stone. I'm like, what? How is this a thing? 
when it got canceled after 18 episodes. What went wrong? And there's barely any articles about that. There's like one oral history, which was done very well by Robert Lloyd. And then that's it. Yeah. And it's just the actors and the creators that have continued the narrative of Freaks and Geeks and keep talking about it in every interview. And it was Judd that did a New York Times article on girls the last season. And there's a whole paragraph on how much he misses Freaks and Geeks. I'm like, this is it. This is, this is the doc. We have to do this. What are the conversations like? So, so, okay, so walk me through from your, like, we have to do this. And I, you said last night that, I guess, Judd Apatow had seen the Chris Farley doc. Yeah. And so he'd sort of said something to you? Yeah, so a lot of people don't know this, but Chris Farley was meant to be cable guy. Yeah. The Jim Carrey's role, yep. which would have been a very different cable guy, I think, if, if it was Chris Farley. Uh, Judd Apatow produced that film. And so they had a connection. They were friends. Um, you know, I, I heard that they used to go for dinner all the time. We wanted Judd in the, in, the, in the Chris Farley doc. We wanted to interview him. That didn't work out, scheduling. Uh, and he reached out and said, I'd love to see the film. And we said, yeah, for sure. Here, here's a link. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, Judd Apatow wants to see our film. <laughs> Great. Yeah, absolutely. You get, him, you get him the film. And then he sent me just the nicest response about it and saying, it's very sad, very very great to watch this. I think you did an amazing job, you know, summing up the, the, the magic of Chris Farley. Yeah. And so left it at that. That was a couple of years ago. It was great. Uh, we've stayed in touch here and there. Um, like, I, like you'll shoot him an email. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Cause when you have these connections, it's always like, you can't just be like, Hey Judd, what's up? It's like, yeah. it's like, we always talk about like bullets. It's like, you can't waste too many bullets. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So like, what would you talk about? Like, what would you email about? I sent him. A, I sent him one of my my other movies that we had done, a comedy doc with Aubrey Plaza about her about her rec league basketball team. Yeah, yeah, man, Pistol Shrimps. And I said, "What do you think?" I just, you know, I, I like you. I still think if you're making things, you want validation forever, and that sometimes comes from huge big wigs like Judd Apatow, and sometimes it comes from your dad, and sometimes it comes from the people around you that just work with you. Sometimes yep. it comes from yourself, but I think validation is, is super important. And well, I think I, for a lot of creatives, yeah, I mean, they may, you don't want to admit it, but it's kind of like why it's not why you do it, but it's like, my God, I mean, it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. You want to, you want to, yeah, absolutely. You want to, you want to entertain people. You want, and I think sending it to Judd and having him comment on it at that point of the vulnerability of that film and where it was at would have, was a huge thing for me. He just sent a couple of messages back. It was just great. It was very funny. Like, just continued a conversation with me. Uh, and then when Freaks and Geeks came up, I went to him and said, we really want to make this film. And no hesitation. He said, yeah, absolutely. You have my blessing. You just have to convince Paul Feig. And I didn't think that meant anything. I thought like, yeah, we'll, we'll convince Paul. It didn't take too much, but I, but I will say like he, it, it is very near and dear to Paul's heart because it's personal stories. So he's a little more protective. Protective of sure. it. Sure. And so he didn't want it – wasn't, it wasn't as quick as, as just saying, yeah, we're good to go. Um, you know, and then, and then you, you, you have to get A&E. You, you have to get funding. You have to work it like a business. You have to figure out how you can actually make – getting their blessings is one thing. But, I mean, you can then go to the money people and say, well, we have Judd and Paul. Yeah. And that will lead to – Seth and James and all of that. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Or you can go to Judd and Paul and them and say you have the money people. You can you can make yeah. a business out of it. <laughs> um, so it, it, and it worked. And I mean, it, it worked in the sense that they trusted us to tell the Freaks and Geeks story. Yeah. And that was great. Okay, so walk me through the conversation with Paul. Is it, is it just emails back and forth? Does he go, let me see some of your work? Like, how do you convince him? 
Paul Feig was so this is and this is why I love being Canadian because everyone has a Canadian story. <laughs> His mom's from Windsor. Yeah. And our sound guys from Windsor. We automatically had this like in. It was like a passport to Paul Feig because of Windsor, Ontario. Which is so funny to think like that that's what got you the freaks and geeks stuff. <laughs> uh, he was into it. And um, we had a quick email exchange back and forth. And then uh, he told me some stories. He told me some people I definitely need to talk to, some of the writers and different people. And, and then we just did our homework. And I believe we showed them the tree pretty quick. This, right. this freaks and geeks seed being the core and all the branches to where those actors have gone and how they've stayed connected. We did that and we showed them sort of an animated um, PDF of what it could look like. Uh, and that kind of blew them away. So that I think they, they thought really quickly they were in good hands. And I know Paul said after his interview, he knew right away that this is the, the right film. This was the film that this is going to be the Freaks and Geeks stock. And then, yeah, everyone came after. It was not like Farley. It was very easy to get people because of Judd and Paul. It's like when mom and dad say yes, then the rest of the kids come. So everybody sort of jumped on at that point. Yes. You mentioned that Judd, you had four hours of footage. Like you talked for four hours. You had a four hour interview. Yeah. Maybe even five. Which is insane, you know? And I, I thought like everybody, like, again, like I, I thought the doc was great and um, everybody was distributed like really well. And, but you know, when you said that, I was like, man, like I know that obviously when you make these things, you can go long, but you'd mentioned in the Farley doc, it was like 35 minute interviews. Yep. That's what you got. Sometimes, sometimes less. Yeah, of course. Like 20, 18 minute interviews, like whatever you could get. Totally. Right? Like, and you'll make it work. Yeah. And so Judd, four hours, like, I guess my question would be, what did he talk about that you didn't use where you were like, shit, that would have been great, but there just like, didn't fit. There wasn't a time. There wasn't a thread in the, the, the story. First, to, to get four hours of Judd Apatow's time was like an absolute dream come true. Yeah. Just the, the fact that he was willing to sit and talk to us that long. And I think he got going. I don't think he meant to be there that long. Um, but, you know, he, we, talked, we talked everything. I think we got really nitty gritty on the NBC details. Right. Which are great, but... It's like Inside Baseball, which guys like us love that shit, but then for a theater full of people that just loved Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. You had the perfect amount of it in the film. That's where there was a balance there where I I think we could have gone way more into Nielsen ratings and what those are and and understanding why why and how complex it was that Freaks and Geeks was getting 7 million viewers a day uh, per, per episode, but they were the lowest rated show. You could go into all those details, but I don't think they're totally necessary for this film. Uh, maybe for extended an extended cut or something later. Um, and so that that's one example. We have a few of the episodes in this documentary: the garage door, Kim Kelly's my friend. Absolutely. Now, just times that by eighteen because Judd talked about every single episode. In wow. Detail. He just knew. He just remembers and he knows, and it's so dear to his heart, like so dear to his and Paul's heart. Paul's interview was two hours. Yeah. Like most of the guys that came in. Uh, were, yeah, hour, two hours, most of these actors and creators. It seems like obviously everyone has a real fondness for that time in their lives. There's a lot of young people and even like Paul and Judd, you know, Judd was a veteran, but, you know, this is a project that meant a lot to them. Did they talk at all about like what they meant to each other? Well, it was definitely a mutual respect. It's clearly obvious that they care about each other still. Right. Um, because they keep using each other in, in their movies. Uh, but did they talk about each other? Yeah, they, they just talked. They talked about the talent brewing 
It's like Jason Siegel is a star. We can see it. Yeah. It's so obvious. In one day, he learned Lady, the, the song that he plays for Lindsay in the, <laughs> know, episode 15 or 16. That he, he didn't know guitar. He just learned it in a day and then played the song. Like, wow, okay, so this, is a, this, this, guy's a star. this guy is, a, is going to be a massive actor. Franco, they knew. Seth was young, and they just watched him develop. Uh, Linda Cardellini, they said, never had one bad take in the entire show. Every single time they needed to cut away, they would cut to Linda Cardellini. Yeah. And I think there was just a crazy, and there still is a crazy mutual respect. I think they knew they were on this awesome rocket ship, and the, and the rest of the world didn't see it. You mentioned somebody gave you a box full of like DV tapes. Yes. Paul and Judd had said, there's a guy named Gabe Sachs, and you have to go see him. He has some memorabilia from the show, is how they put it. And I went to his house in LA, and this guy had everything. He had a museum of freaks and geeks. He had the Norseman head. He had the Parisian night suit. He had a letter jacket. He had photos. And he handed me this box of mini DVs, an hour long. You remember those? Like, Of course. <laughs> I've got a couple boxes. Yeah. And he just said, no one's really seen this stuff. I know there's a rap party on there. You know, I know that there's some, some on-set banter, some writer room stuff. And it's just hundreds of hours. Did you go through it all? Yeah. What, I like, mean, with, how, like with pleasure yeah too, honestly, you know like it's seeing this archive of yeah it wasn't there was there wasn't a lot of um there wasn't a lot of pain when it came to the like the the the, the lugging of footage with this film because it's just it's incredible to see you know, james franco working on his lines or jason siegel talking and uh, about learning the song on guitar like these these are things that no one's seen and yeah it was like it was a pleasure working your way through these and marking them and understanding where they might fit in I want to ask the question, this is kind of like, I guess, process question or just like as a filmmaker, but then also thinking marketing wise, when you're cutting the film and uh, the story comes out about James Franco, right? And so it's kind of wrapped up in the Me Too thing. Sure. I don't know if the film's locked by this point or you're cutting it. Do you have a thought like as a guy that's obviously putting this out where you're like, shit, like, how does this reflect on the film? Yeah. Do we, do we drop him out? Do we... Do we alter the cut or do you just go, no, this is about freaking like, how do you approach that when that happens? Yeah. I mean, this is like, I think the, the me too question, what, what a crazy time right now. Of course. Um, and I, it came up for sure. Like as soon as everything came out about Franco, you do question like, wow, what's going to happen with our film? Are they going to put it out? Are they going to try to cut him out? Like we, you know, all those questions came up and discussions definitely came up. Uh, and you know, it really came down to, this isn't the Franco story. This is the Freaks and Geeks story. We, he's part of that. Let's keep him in. Uh, let's get this movie out. And we were finished. We finished last July. So it was already done, wrapped, and ready to go. Uh, I think it might have been a different conversation, potentially, if, if, uh, if it hadn't been finished. I think every sort of pending project right now when it comes to the Me Too movement is, is to be questioned. I think time will, will, will really tell what's going on with the... With, uh, like it's it's a uh, it's not easy. It's not an easy subject, and there always is like a sort of PR pain to 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 this sort of um, this sort of thing when you're making a movie. Like not not always a Me Too movement. Yep. With Farley, it was an addiction thing. Yep. You know, we had to have a respect. Where where do we lie with this? What are we doing? Um, I think I think with Pistol Shrimps, it was uh, an incredible group of women who were on a basketball team, and it's it's like it's a powerful women's story. Am I as a male director the guy that should be telling that? You know, there's always Absolutely. sort of, right? And with Bronies, it was Hasbro. They're, they own the My Little Pony franchise. And they were very weary at the time of the Brony thing. 
So you're always kind of like tiptoeing around what could help or hinder your film. And I think, I think you just have to care about it and understand that there's a lot of different people that, um, you know, that, that have issues with certain things. Uh, some people might be uh, not happy that Franco's in this film, but I, like I had to make a choice. Yep. And I think the choice is that he's a part of history here. He's a part of the freaks and geeks story. And he, he's in that story. That's, that's that. Yeah. Last night you and Allie told, uh, what I thought was a funny story about Jason Schwartzman. Cause I was even surprised that Jason Schwartzman I know. <laughs> is interviewed for this film. Like, what did you appear in one, one episode? Yeah. So Allie and I, Allie's the producer, Allie Kelly. She's yeah. in the room by the way. She's yeah. great. What's up? <laughs> we, we got to work, we got to interview all of our like dream, you know, actors and creators. Judd Apatow, Jason Siegel, Linda Cardellini. These are people that I really want to interview. And the idea that we could have even have Jason Schwartzman in the room for a minute was like, <laughs> was good enough. And the fact that he would come in to talk about freaks and geeks was just fine. And we knew he wasn't going to be a huge part of this film. I think he knew that. But as he said, if I can associate myself with a show like Freaks and Geeks, then people are going to, for, for whatever reason, think that I was on it the whole time. So I'm, I'm there. And he didn't know anything. He doesn't even remember his character name. He doesn't remember the show. But man, he was funny. And he was, he was one of our last interviews. So we kind of had the film locked. So just to have him was just uh, a yeah. bonus. It was like an absolute bonus. It's kind of a delight. Like he shows up and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, just throw him in there. Yeah, it's like you get 45 minutes for free with Jason Schwartzman, and it's not like a contest that you won. <laughs> right, That's, yeah. that's kind of how we felt. Uh, and he embraced it. He knew we loved him the second he came in. He just knew it. He knew that he had, like, stumbled upon just fanboys and girls that were just waiting, <laughs> waiting for him to get in there. We talked about his brother and his brother's music with Rooney. We talked about his music. Coconut Records. Coconut Records. I we love that, about, man. We talked about Rushmore. Talked about Sloan. That's right. We talked Sloan. about everything. Do you have any other like what did share an anecdote? What did he tell you about? Did he, yeah, I think the, the, I love the, a good secondhand story, like a story that Jason Schwartzman's told that you guys will now tell. Oh, that is really funny. Yeah. Okay. This one's that is really funny. He he for whatever reason went on for about twenty minutes and told his first story of meeting James Franco. <laughs> Which was him walking his dog outside with a large Saturday Night Live t-shirt on and like a dress and Jason Schwartzman saying he felt so small compared to Franco who had come out in like a convertible, rolled up beside him and said, hey, congrats on getting in the film. And he said, what film? And he goes, oh, you don't know yet. And like sped off. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess it was funny people. It was funny people. It was one of Judd's movies. Sure. And I I guess Judd had told Franco, like, yeah, we're going to get Jason Schwartzman in this. And it was just one of those moments, I think, for Jason Schwartzman when he got invited into the club. Right. He got this, like, wow, I get to be a part of the Judd club. I'm in a Judd movie. And he got to hear it firsthand from Franco, who sped by. (laughs) And he's sort of, like, he equated it to, to, like, that's Hollywood. Of, like, it's me with my dog outside and then this this like the best looking actor in the world flies by in a convertible and tells you the best news you've ever heard. It's just like, I just loved his brain. You know, you That's just like want in that brain for a second. You're like, man, you've done, and he doesn't think anything of, it. he's like, yeah, I don't really get noticed much. I don't know. I'm like, I've done some cool stuff. Like, man, you've done stuff that I, I think will go down in history. He's to me, 
the next like Bill Murray, Christopher Walken. I think that's Jason Schwartzman. I think he's the next guy in line to be this idiosyncratic sort yeah. of weird offbeat. Yeah. Mysterious yeah. dude. He's doing Wes Anderson stuff. He's just, he's somehow he's thrown himself into pop culture in a way that I just completely appreciate. I think the world of Jason Schwartzman, um, the other thing we, he really likes LaCroix. Really? And we are very aggressively trying to get the LaCroix documentary picked up. Really? Yeah. Because I think there's, don't you have questions about what LaCroix is? Yeah, we do. Actually, like, my wife and I love it. Love it. Everyone loves it. And we don't know why. And we don't know where it came from. And we have no idea what artificial flavor is. And, Man. and this is where we start with our movies. We go, why has nobody answered the LaCroix mystery? <laughs> Let's go. Like, that's, that's the hard-hitting journalism that we love. And the thing with Jason Schwartzman is that he brought that up during his interview. He said, what's that LaCroix documentary? Or no, what's that LaCroix story? I wonder where it came from. And I said, we want to do the, the doc. And he said, if you do that doc, I'll be a part of it. <laughs> so I'm like, I am questing still every day to figure out a way to do the LaCroix story with Jason Schwartzman. Yeah. <laughs> would you have a narrate or would you? I would. I, he will host. He will narrate. He will drink LaCroix. He'll do, he'll do whatever he can. he's up for. That's amazing. Um, as we wrap up, I did want to know if there's anything overall in the documentary that you left out. Because, you know, you got to kill your babies. Yeah. What do we leave out of Freaks and Geeks? I mean, Judd just did a giant comedy doc on Gary Shandling, obviously. Yeah. And, I mean, he just went for it. Uh, things yeah, like, what, four, four hours? hours. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, I mean, if, that, that's a goal. Like, Judd Apto can get four hours to do. To if do you're a judge, jury. you can kind of do what you want. So yeah. if he wants to do a labor of love that is four hours long, then. Yeah, you can have it. So I mean, it. HBO will take it. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's a great four hours, too. I remember thinking, like, wow, this is going to be a long four hours. And it's not. It goes, it, it's a great film. What did I leave out of Freaks and Geeks that we wish we had? Um, you know, there was a point where we were making the film that I said, if we don't get to hear from NBC, we haven't made the Freaks and Geeks stock. So there was Garth Ansier, who you'll see in the film, and he is the guy who canceled Freaks and Geeks. Until we had that interview, I didn't think we had a film. And then once we got him, it was like, yep, now we, now we actually are really doing journalism here. We're seeing both sides of the story, and we have the people that love Freaks and Geeks, and we also have a complex reason why he canceled it. So until that moment, we didn't have a film. And then once we got it, I felt, you know, regardless of what we have to cut, um, this is it. This is the Freaks and Geeks doc. I totally agree. I thought having his voice was crucial just to yeah. sort of see the other, you know, because someone's going to be like the villain. I'm doing air quotes for our yeah. listeners right now. <laughs> um, but I thought he came off somewhat sympathetic, or at least sure. you could understand his reasoning because he's like, hey, this is business. Absolutely. And it wasn't delivering. No, absolutely. Look, like I respect Garth Ansier so much for doing this interview because everyone hates him yeah. for canceling the show. And he didn't have to do this interview. And he did. And he, he said, I, no one's really asked me too much about this. And I would love to tell my side of the story. Uh, and his story is valid. Yeah, he's an exec who has the lowest rated show on NBC. It's got to go. And I know that Judd and Paul realize that too. They've said that. Like, look, we weren't getting the ratings. Yep. Um, but that didn't mean they were going to give up and switch it around. Paul said the other day that they were told they were, that they, they were supposed to have Britney Spears in an episode. <laughs> they wanted Britney Spears to be like a cheerleader sure. and, and do a cameo. And wow. they just said, that's not what this is. And I mean, imagine in the year 2000 saying no to getting Britney Spears in your show. Well, just the spike in that episode alone. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they, 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 they said no. They said that's not what this is. And so they were going to go out with a show that that mattered to them, regardless if the world cared about it or if NBC cared about it. 
And that's a learning experience. For sure. You know, Paul, Paul was 35 and Judd was 32 when they were making Freaks and Geeks. I'm 32 right now. And I'm like, man, Judd Apatow is my age telling network execs to go fuck themselves. Honestly, right? Like right? that takes balls. It takes a lot of balls. And he's doing it for the power of a show. He's got a bunch of 16 to 18-year-olds' careers in his hand. And he's thinking, man, how do I keep them going? How do I keep this going? And look where his career has gone. And you look where Freaks and Geeks has taken people. But that moment as a 32-year-old, when your show gets canceled and you understand that entire family of people now don't have a job, must have been a crazy pressure, which has probably led him to where he is now. And if you're him, you don't know that the future is going to turn out no, not at spectacular. all. Spectacular. No, you, you'd be like, "This is the last time we all work." Uh, that's it, exactly. And you know, there's a darkness to that. There's like this weird terror to that as a as a somebody who is meant to constantly um, get shows picked up and provide. And I just, I think I learned more from reflecting on that moment. What I personally would have gone through. I think I actually learned more about filmmaking by just understanding what they probably had to go through, and what they what they decided to stick to. We're going to stick to a show. We're not going to change the writing. We're not going to do what people say. And I've just learned more about myself from their story than, than I thought it would. Yeah. Have they seen it? Oh yeah. Has everybody seen it? That's in it. Yeah. Um, what's the, what's the word? What's the scuttlebutt? That was like the, I actually have a photo that of when Judd called me and said, even if you change nothing in this, it's the, it's the story. This is great. And it's just like such a, what an incredible um, phone call to get out of the blue. I watched it with Jimmy Miller, his manager, which is like one of the coolest managers ever. He's <laughs> Jim Carrey's manager. He's Will Farrell's manager. Uh, we watched it together. He was there at the time. This is the story. And you're like, wow, what a validation. Like that is what we were trying to do here. I wasn't there, so I don't know. Yeah. And you hope that you get it right. So once Paul and Judd had seen it and gave me those kind of notes and said, this is just, this is it. I just... I went for it. I was like, well, we got we to gotta package this up and get it out to theaters and, t- and show as many people as we can. Uh, and it's still going. And it's like, it's cool. You know what's really, really cool about it is that we're now part of the Freaks and Geeks story. Yeah. It, like, how cool is that? We're part of the Chris Farley story. Like, that is unbelievable to me. Like, the, the fact that we've sort of continued the story on and a whole new generation gets to see it. And that's my life. Like, I'm a kid from Canada who now can say... Well, Freaks and Geeks is, is part of me too now. Like, That's so awesome, just personally. That's so awesome. And I'm glad the rest of the world gets to experience it and love it. But like, that's just a really cool feeling. Thanks so much for your time, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Welcome to The Dessert. We are here joined by our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham, who is texting or typing something furiously. We were just talking about uh, rudeness <laughs> with phones, and now I'm texting as you're introing me. But this is actually for the pod, obviously. Uh, hey, I'm not Not judging. obviously, but I'm booking a guest. Ooh. It's our friend Rob Escola. <laughs> <laughs> Rob is running for council or something. Oh! oh yes, I co- saw that. In the, so for our listeners, one of our Champagne Boy friends, Rob Escola, announced in the Champagne Boys group that he is running for council, like a local, I guess, uh, political seat in Hamilton, Ontario. So he may, it's something to look forward to. Yeah, this is good. This yeah. is exciting. Is, is Dan Hamilton now his press secretary? Probably. Yeah, him and Savelli are running the campaign. Seriously? <laughs> yeah, our friend Matt Savelli, who's a professor. Wow. And champagne boy. Wait. 
Well, it's kind of exciting. We throw a benefit concert. Yeah. Kels, <laughs> for Rob. For are Rob. you going to announce? Are you going to mention his uh, candidacy from the stage at the Maybe rally? Maybe I should. That would be awesome if you played like bosses coming as he came up on stage to give like a speech or something. <laughs> <laughs> He's wearing like in a school of 2019 <laughs> yeah. shirt. That's awesome. Yeah, but that's not what this dessert is about. I'm going to be throwing to another segment, a la the JR Diggs episode, okay. where I talk to uh, Blast from the Past. I'm not sure if anyone listened to that last segment that we had on the Nirvana the Band Show episode. Where everything's bleeped out. What, what's that? What was no, no, okay, never mind. Different thing. I mean, you know, the Jared Diggs campfire. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if people... No, I was talking about the thing that was bleeped out during the Nirvana interview, but the thing, the segment you're working on. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. that's something completely uh, different. Okay. That's way bigger than this. Okay, cool. Uh, but what I'm going to be doing is talking to my friend, Bert. Oh. And you might have, if you've been listening to the pod before, this is the, I won't call him an elderly man, but he's an old, he's much older than me. He's in his 70s, and he was probably my best friend throughout my 20s. And I'm just going to catch up with him. I haven't talked to him in a while. And, you know, he's, I, I think I told the story how we used to shower together at the Y. And he made, <laughs> that was two episodes ago, and, maybe. And, and he made me, uh, well, not made me. He asked me to take my swim trunks off, and I obliged. <laughs> so weird. Which I do think is right. Like, it is weird to be wearing the trunks. I didn't think it was, like, uh, yeah. that egregious. But anyway, we're going to catch up with him right now. So hopefully it's interesting, and hopefully it happens, because he was being... He was setting a lot of guidelines and mm. rules, because he... I think he thought the pod was a televised thing, because uh, sure. he follows us on Instagram, and he's unsure of what Instagram is or what the what a podcast <laughs> is, so when I told him there wouldn't be cameras there, he would kind of got turned off by that idea. <laughs> it wasn't big time enough for him. Yeah, right, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, let's throw to that segment right now. What's up? Yeah, what's up, Jim? The reason I'm calling is to hopefully set up the podcast. Uh, I think... You, you only have sound uh, equipment, no, no sound equipment. No, we don't. Uh, the podcast is just audio-based, yes. Just audio? Yes. Can, can we do it without... Uh, uh, I don't want to do it here. Can, can we do it in the public place? No, not in the public place. No, uh, let's do it at your place. Okay. If we do it at my place, can we do it on, on the patio? Yes. Uh, when you arrive, then I can bring you up on the penthouse. All right, thanks, birdie boy. Okay, okay. Okay, bye. Yes, bye, bye. Do you want to start with the cheers? Okay, cheers. Let's clink these. Wait, no, don't touch it. Yeah. There we go. No, don't don't slam the mic against Watch it. Watch it. Oh, shit. Slam. Okay, there Drink we go. first. Drink a little bit oh, first. Well. There we go. So, long time no see. Yeah, long time no see. That's life. How old are you now? 77. And when I met you, how old were you? I was 64. Wow, you're just a kid. Honestly, you look the exact same. Well, I, it's good breed. Yeah, it's true. Do you think I look similar or di- way different? You you're look smarter now. I look smarter? Marriage does that to a person. <laughs> were you surprised when we showed up? Here, you mean? Yeah, with the wife and the baby. Oh, I knew you would have somebody who, who would drive you. Because that's the way you are. You're like somebody else to take you. What is that, codependency? Something like that. But it's more dependency than codependency. (laughs) That's very accurate. Where do you, like, you have a bunch of documents here. You handed me a card when when I walked in. Yeah. What did that card say on it? 
my address, my phone numbers, home number, and, and uh, my cell number, and it gives you my email. On the other side, it says, to watch my short films, go to YouTube, B. Van Europe Short Films. So wait, this is your business card? It's not a business card. It's just a card to acknowledge that I've done some other things than supervising construction. Okay, so these are the films, of course, you and I have made together. Yeah, that's correct. 24 of them. And my favorite one is with Mike, the music video, Babe. Oh, Baby, yes. That's not Baby, Babe. No, it was called Baby. Ah, Jesus. (laughs) Don't argue me on that. Who do you give this business card to? Like, for example, if you're on vacation, do you give it to someone? No, no, I give it to people I meet. And say, if you are you interested in watching short films on YouTube, here, watch mine. Just strangers you just yes, meet strange, randomly. Wild strangers. And it's funny because you are the type to just talk to strangers, aren't you? I'm easy at that. And that's how we met. That's correct. Can you accurately describe how, oh, I, how we met? I remember that as the day of yesterday. Uh, you were at uh, Tim Hortons on Fairview. No, on Plains Road. Right. And you were eating a blueberry muffin. I was. The blueberry muffin fell on the ground. It did. You picked it up and you still ate it. What'd you say? That must be one tasty muffin. <laughs> and since then, since then, we have been making some short films. First, we did Cops. Yes. You were looking for a guy with an accent. Of course, I have Dutch accent. Well, I was also more than an accent, too. I was looking for someone who looked like someone of authority. Older person. A lot of short films, when, when you're younger, you cast someone, and it's just your buddy, and you're trying to say he's a police chief. But no, no. really, he's a 20-year-old. You, not only, it's not just that you were older, it's that you actually look like a person of authority. You know what I mean? I have always been a supervisor. You have. So it was like uh, method acting. You already had yeah, that because you're used correct. to being the boss. That's correct. And that was our first movie together. How was that process of making that film and collaborating with me? It was kind of difficult because in the beginning, I was not used to deliver long lines without... Uh, we didn't have much time, which wasn't easy. I got frustrated in that film. Yeah, let's be honest, Bert. You were fucking up almost every single line. That's correct. And, 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 and I, in retrospect, I think it was good for the film. It, it was funny for the behind-the-scenes footage. As for the film itself, it, it was a struggle, man. Yeah, yeah. And we but had to make cue cards for you. When you get older, your memory starts to fade. You weren't that old. <laughs> now, I, now you could play that card. You were only 64. No, no. It was done after my retirement at the board. So you were 65. 66. Look at us, fighting uh, just like nothing's yeah. ever changed. That's correct. <laughs> okay, so after we did the film, would you say we became very close friends? Yes, we came, and we, uh, we accepted each other the way we were and the way we acted. I taught you how to learn how to drive, stick shift a car. Well, more than that, like you were, my dad has kind of a temper, so I was always scared to ask for him to teach me things. I thought I was never going to learn how to drive, and then you said you would teach me, and I think I was, I was 25 That's correct. when you finally taught me how to drive, and I wanted to go on a date with a girl and take her in a car. So you had gone out and just said, Shane, give, give me the money and I'll buy you this car. And I just trusted you. You just pulled up at my place smiling, rolled down the window and said, here's your car. And it was a stick shift. And you didn't want it, you didn't want it because you wanted to have an automatic. And I said, no, before you learn to drive, you have to learn to do a shift stick. Aren't you happy now? 
you know a little bit more than all the others. Do you know who wasn't happy? Uh, the date I had to take out in that stick shift car because I was fucking horrible. I didn't know which gear to put it in. Like I only had a week to learn, and I was I'm not a very good learner. And it was stalling out. And uh, I taught you how to drive a car. Do you know I once, and, on, on and one of my first times driving it around, I stalled it on a train track and a train started coming? Yeah, that's scary. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I had to get people to push the car off the tracks. Anyway. But I want to talk about where did we used to go together a lot. We went to the Y. The YMCA. YMCA. We worked out uh, fairly frequent, like three or four times a week. You got quite buff. Well, I've done triathlons till I was almost 65. So. But will you admit that I helped sculpt your body? Sure, we, we tried to outdo each other. Yeah. And do you, do you remember when we were in the change room and we were hitting the showers and you saw that I had swimming trunks on? That's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. If you go on, under the shower, then you go with buck naked. Well, I was just scared of my shame. Whether you're big or small or in between, doesn't matter. <laughs> But Bert, I snuck a peek, and yours was a Dutch. You, yeah, you had. Is that a Dutch thing? That's a Dutch thing. Wow, we shaped pretty good, and uh, we. Uh, that's Dutch. Like I took one glance. By the way, I don't want anyone to think I was staring at it. But well, you did. Well, hey. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's that's the past. Um, we grew oh. out of that. <laughs> what did we grow out of? I lost my temper a couple of times with you, mm-hmm. and you lost your temper a couple of times with me. No, Indeed. yeah, we we would fight like cats and dogs over nothing. Over nothing. Nice, and we also made a documentary film together. Delivery, which is on Netflix. Because no. you did stand-up comedy once. Oh, I did. I want to talk about our tattoo. I still have the uh, tattoo, and it hasn't it faked. It's still there. Can you describe that tattoo? It's a picture of me at 65. What are you doing? Thumbing. Giving a thumbs up. Giving a thumbs up at 65. Uh, the picture was taken and the, the, the tattoo was made after the picture. And you also were wearing a Snatch TV t-shirt in it. That's correct. At that time, we still were talking about Snatch TV. has nothing to do with sex. It's snatching. is grabbing. Right. It's not about a vagina. No. No, it's not a Snatch. And make sure you're talking to the mic. No, it's not a snatch. <laughs> Good. Now that we have that nice, clear audio. But that tattoo, if we can talk about it, caused controversy. Yeah, my wife didn't like it. My kids didn't like it. They didn't like me for... You were the one who made me do it. <laughs> what? Is that true? No. No. Basically, what we said is, if you do the tattoo that you were making, then I would do a tattoo and at the same time. And do you remember the tattoo I ended up getting? Teen Wolf. I got Michael the J. Teen Fox. Michael J. Fox you did in color. I did. And it was a portrait of Michael J. Fox ripping yep. open his shirt wearing a That's Teen correct. Wolf shirt. That's correct. And then you got a tattoo of yourself. Yeah. And then it kind of made your family not like me anymore. No, you were you were a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, very bad. And then my family started not liking you. That's correct. We, we didn't get any support from the parents' side. Not you, not me. No, I was too old. So do you think that was the main problem? Yeah. Why do people think that somebody who's in their early 20s can't be friends with someone in their mid-60s? People haven't grown out of the old ways. I feel young dealing with young people because it keeps me young. Right. Do you have a lot of young friends now 
Has there been a replacement chain? There's several young construction guys from the last job who still are having contact with me on Facebook. Okay, do you remember what we used to smoke? Unfortunately, you got me hooked on a little joint. And I I left Hamilton. And by the time I recognized that I wasn't going the right way, it was almost in Toronto. Wait, you drugged drive? Yes, and it was scary. You you got me into this. Bert, I was going to talk about the little cigars we used to smoke. Oh yes, yeah, but that was that was just cigars. Do you remember the pranks we used to pull on uh, drive-through employees? Oh yeah. <laughs> so we had this routine where I'd go through a drive-through and I'd be like, "Hey, dude, could I please have a burger, a chocolate milk, and an extra large fry? Thank you." And then I would hide. In the back of the car, yeah. and just you would pull up with your thick Dutch accent being almost 70, and just be like, hello. And they'd be like, are you the guy who ordered? You'd be like, yes. And then they'd hand you the chocolate milk, and you'd be like, took you long enough. What, were you milking the cow? That's and they'd correct. Be, they'd be so confused at what just transpired, and then you would just squeal out. Squeal out what? What did I squeal out? The tires would squeal. It's not oh, like you yeah, would yeah. oink would like a pig. Yeah, yeah, I would take off. Yeah, of course. No, yeah, we did that. Every every time we had to pick up something at the drive through we fooled them. Are your weed smoking days behind you? Or are they just uh, beginning? Yes. And I tell you another thing. I have not touched the cigarettes anymore. You don't smoke? I wanted to talk about Alex's birthing video. Like the video I put online. Yeah, I would never share that. Mm-hmm. It's personal. But, Bert, do you remember when we looked at the video, your colonoscopy video, and we yeah. were taking a tour of your asshole? <laughs> like, No, you never looked at my colonoscopy. You showed it to me. You had it or something. No, no, that, that was... Oh, your brain surgery. That was my brain surgery. Oh, I knew it was something that no, no. haunted I me. Had... You don't think that's personal? No, because that's medical. Well, it's pretty medical. To They removed a baby from my wife's yeah, tummy but it, it's, not to get all technical no you, I, I don't want to get too technical about it either the birth I would never share with anybody of any of my daughters and I did help with the delivery what about a, someone offers you one million dollars to share your birthing video cash listen at 77 what am I going to do with a million dollars what aren't you going to do at that point that's money for life look, baby look around you okay am I suffering you're not suffering. And just for the audience at home, we are surrounded in a beautiful garden straight out of the movie The Secret Garden. Yeah, no, not, not only that, the mafia movie. Which mafia Don, movie? Don Corleone. Oh, Godfather. <laughs> I don't know, remember the gardening scene, but if there is one, it's better than that. I still got another 10 years. <laughs> so you're going to live to be 87? At least. I like it. You have good genes. Yeah. And I actually like the jeans you're wearing right now. They're like a beige color. Did you dye? You used to dye your own jeans too. That also, the the black, the blue jeans. Blue jeans. Blue jeans. I would. Blue jeans are fairly but, ubiquitous. Why but, would you need to dye your own jeans? They faded too far, and I didn't like it. And it gave right. them a little more deep blue color. Yeah, and you dyed a couple pairs of jeans for me. Yes, you're sure. You liked it too. Yeah, it looked great. I don't know yeah. why, but I was down with it. What, what do you prefer, Baby or the movie Delivery? Delivery is a very special movie. Mark put a lot of, of thought into that movie. It took a long time to finish that movie. Yeah. 
delivery is is by far a, a, a more a more important than vape. Okay. If you had to kill either Mark or me, like you're fairly honest, Bert. Like once you actually told me who your favorite daughter was, so yeah. I, I'm trusting that you'll be honest with me. Who would you who would you wipe off the planet? I wouldn't kill anyone. I would hire the mafia to do it for me. Who are you putting the hit out on? It's a hap- hypothetical question. It's a hypothetical, totally. Hypothetical question. It will never come to happen. And, and it will never come to happen, and it will never be heard by anybody that I would favor one or the other. Nod your head if it's Mark, and shake your head if it's me. No, I wouldn't do that. If I shake my head or not my head, then I do both at the same time. What's uh, more valuable, money or time? To you? To me, time is very important. But if you had to pick money or time? I would pick time. To personify money or time, would you say Mark is more like time or money? Mark is time. And I'm money? No, not really. I think you have almost a disregard for money. What, what makes you think that? N- money never was upfront with you the most important thing. How could you tell? Well, that's very easy. It's the way you reacted and the way you acted. Money was a second nuisance. Right, yeah. You had that at a very young age that you distanced yourself from money. Yeah. Do you remember the one time, it was weird, you you bought a lot of stuff for the movie. Yes. We were business partners to some extent. Yes, because I still think that we uh, had Snatch TV uh, uh, thing, where basically we had uh, our own Snatch TV. uh, Production company. During which time all these movies were made. Right. So it's not like you were just making or investing in me. They, they, no, no. They were for you also, oh, right? Of course. But at one point, I remember you you asked for money back from me. Yeah. And you had all these receipts. And I, what did I do? I went to the bank and I got a money order and I gave you your money back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because you had kept receipts, like Tim Horton's receipts on like Timbits and stuff. I was pissed off. That's you all. were. That was a crazy move. But I did it. And I and I wasn't mad at you. Money is the least important thing to you. Do you know what the most important is? Mike, how much? And the dir- the daughter you got. That should be the most. Oh yeah, important yeah, her thing. too. She's cute. And do you remember when we were shooting the skit? I had an idea that we would uh, go skydiving. Yes, we did that too. And for, for that, I took you to Flamborough, where there is a skydiving place, and we did both the training, and we were both going to go into one of these little planes 4,000 feet up and then jump out of it. Of course, you backed out. (laughs) So this was back in the day, by the way. I think this law has changed. But back in the day, you were allowed to do like three hours of skydiving training, go up in a plane, and actually jump out by yourself. It was untethered, meaning... No, I was on my own. You weren't attached to another man. No, no, no. Your first time skydiving. I have a certificate even for it. So we went up in the plane together, and... As we're in the plane, I look to the instructor. I go, is this safe? And the instructor looked at me. He was like, you're 4,000 feet in the air. We're about to go hurling out of an airplane. Is this safe? No. No, Follow your safety training, and then you'll be fine. And I was like, shit. I jumped out of that thing, and I landed within 15 feet of the X on the ground. I was scared. You were scared shitless. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I remember my thought, too. I was like, Bert's like 60, in his 60s. He's lived a full life. Yeah. If he dies, that's fine. If I die, 
I'm still young. It's very selfish, you know that. Yeah, well, I figured you'd go out the way you wanted, um, smashing into the grass charge. at uh, 8,000 miles an hour. In charge. In charge, yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you think your family would like me now? Oh, time heals. Like, if you ever die, could I go to the funeral? Yes. Oh, yeah, you can come. Okay. You can I don't come. want it to be awkward. But I, I made that very simple. And if I don't think you will ever die, by No, the way. no. Uh, I made it very simple. If I die, I want to be cremated. The ashes have to go to the horse barn on the manure spreader. Mm-hmm. And the family can walk behind the manure spreader and they spread it all out over the field. That's kind of a shitty way to die. No, that's back to earth. I like that. And lastly, Teen Wolf 3. How would you describe that experience? Well, Teen Wolf 3 was in relationship to the tattoo you have on your arm. It was a parody on Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf. And and it was a short film. It was a short film. And what's, what's the guy's name you had on one of your shows? The... Uh, J.R. Diggs. Yeah. Diggs. What do you uh, think of J.R. Diggs? He's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> no, but tell me what you really think of him, Bert. I think that is very clear what I think of him. Okay. I think he is, there are certain people who establish nothing. He's one of those. Because <laughs> we made Teen Wolf for Jaredig's show. That's right. And what did he do with it? He aired it on his show. How, how many times? A couple times. Weren't you looking at it as like a, a mutual beneficial relationship as he had the nationally televised show and he was giving us exposure? Uh, I, I questioned that. Whether it was even airing on television. That's right. <laughs> That's an interesting conspiracy theory. And come to think of it, I don't know if I ever really saw it on TV. No. It didn't air. No. Shit. But I hated freeloaders like uh, Dicks. J.R. Diggs. It is a dick. J.R. Dickhead. <laughs> anyway. Did you like how the film turned out? I think it was a fabulous parody on the original is that a fancy way of saying no no it's a fancy way of saying that i think it was good it was done well uh, would you advise people to check it out on youtube right now that's part of of the movies that are on on youtube and we started working for home and garden television a show mm. called house capades with mike bullard oh yes could you yes. describe that there's an, another a typical loser in the business who's that bullard mike bullard yeah. What is he doing now? Don't know. I know he got in mild trouble recently, or maybe major trouble. I haven't followed He it. has been in trouble uh, for as long as I know him. When I talk about him, I think about Dick. <laughs> you mean you mean Diggs? Yeah. Um, if you had to kill one of them, who would you rather kill? I'd rather kill them both at the same time. Wow. They're useless. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. So you, okay. I, I don't know whether you can air this. Yeah, hey, we, this is a cool pod, man. <laughs> yeah, no, but I have no respect for both because they didn't really produce anything that was important or very special. Right. Well, he had a late night talk show. Did, did you listen to him quite often? <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched it from time to time, and it is hard to do that. It, if I passed his channel... That's how much I heard from him. <laughs> wow. Okay, but I wait. wouldn't listen to him, not even if I got paid for it. But they hired us. Well, how much did we make? Didn't we make 2500 per episode? Are you kidding? What? I've, I have never seen the 2500 I cashed the check, Bert. You did cash the check. What I swear did I we split it, even Stevens. I can't remember. I swear, Bert. I can't remember. And 
Have we ever heard from them since then? We haven't. No. Did you like the work we did for them? No. Okay, and I have to talk about this because this is a huge part of your film and television career. You were a recurring character on the show MTV Live. That's because I played the role of Samuel L. Jackson. So you were Samuel L. Jackson. Actually, we were in the green room with Quentin Tarantino. All because we had made a parody of on Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. And uh, I, I, I was sitting in, in the audience there, made up in black, with black curly hair. Black curly hair. Were you in blackface also? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And MTV aired that. MTV aired that. I've been on, on that show several times. And th so they liked you so much from this uh, one-off appearance as Samuel Jackson that they had you come back for multiple episodes. I've been a couple of times there, yeah. And how did you like that experience? Well, they were using me. It's very simple. But were you getting enjoyment out of being on this national show? I did in the beginning, but finally I had enough of it. Too much fame. <laughs> yeah. Too much fame too quick. <laughs> I remember that you and I, we watched this film festival in Toronto and we walked late at night during the street and yeah. people were screaming at us. Hey, they Bert. recognized me. I do. People, and I was offended because no one recognized me. They only <laughs> recognize you. That's right. Do you, did your employer b care that you were in blackface? No. Oh. No. I, they had nothing to do with it. But I guess you were so tan, a lot of people couldn't tell anyway. That's one thing. <laughs> How often? Do you still go tanning? No. I, the odd time... Don't lie to me, Bert. You're no, still no, so no, dark. But at the odd time I go... Don't, I, haven't, I haven't gone to a suntan place for a year and a half. Would you say you used to be addicted to tanning? Honestly. That's very simple. If you look good, people think you feel good. <laughs> That's kind of depressing. People think you feel good. People think you feel good. In the end, you feel good yourself as well. Okay, I'll ask again. Would you say you were addicted to tanning? That being said... Not addicted. I liked it, but I wasn't addicted to it. You could quit at any time? Yeah, I quit now for a year and a half. Were you ever addicted to smoothies? No, smoothies. I'm not addicted to them at all. And that's a line from? That's the line we used for Teen Wolf 3. Yes, you die in that film. What gives you so much joy in your film and television career? Why are you so proud of it? I don't know whether it, I'm proud of it. It is, it's you, something... Bert, you carry around a card that you tell people to go check out your short film. Oh, yeah, it's your because, business card. Because people might have fun with it. They might laugh about it. It seems like you're fairly proud, though. Oh, I, I don't regret it. And do you have any regrets about how our friendship went? No, it cooled off for a while, and then uh, people asked me, are you making more short films? And I told them, I said, I don't want to. You would never would? No, not anymore. Why is that? <sighs> I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> you love that line. <laughs> no, getting too old. So if I begged you to make another short film, you wouldn't help me out? If you would ask me to jump from the Empire State Building, I would say, well. Man, that's very touching, actually. Yeah. All right, Bert. Okay. Are we good? Yep. What'd you think of that? Oh, yeah. It's material for the editing table. <laughs> no shit. That's it. That's all. That is our episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to uh, Brent Hodge. Go see Freaks and Geeks, the documentary. Uh, we loved it, uh, and we hope that you enjoy it, too. 
Uh, the Mike on Much podcast can be found on Instagram and Twitter at Mike on Much. Huge thank you to Tara Paquette and Jenna Gregory for putting together the artwork. Shout out to Justin Stockman, Webby D, and manager Ash, and the whole gang, Greg Stewart, Mike McShane, everybody for helping put this thing together. You know it. And thank you to the listeners, everyone that tunes in every week and, uh, and follows along with us. The Mike on Much podcast is produced by Max Kerman. I am your host, Mike Kerman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend. <laughs>